Good morning. Good to see you here this morning. I always say that, and I always mean it. Because uh, <laughs> if you weren't here, I'd feel stupid. If you have your Bibles, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and they will bring you one. As we've been going through the book of Corinthians, uh, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, the last few weeks, we've kind of entered into a discussion. We talked last week about it being a type of family meeting uh, where Paul deals very directly to those in Corinth and some of the things that they were struggling with, some of the areas uh, of sin, of sexual immorality. I just don't want to say immortality. That wouldn't be right. Uh, And so it's been something that has been, uh, again, very sensitive. And today is going to be uh, continuing that theme as we we talk about the marriage relationship. And we're going to continue to talk about some sensitive matters. I want to let you know if you have kids here who are, you know, young, you, you might want to take them out at this time. I mean, this isn't going to be NC-17 or anything. It's going to be more PG-13 kind of a thing. Um, and if you're in high school, you need to stay in here. We want you to stay in here. Uh, your parents should be talking to you about these things. If they're not, you can go home later and say, why haven't you talked to me about these things? Although you're probably happy that they haven't talked to you about those things because that's weird. But now I'm going to talk to you about those things, and that's going to be even more weird. And so if you're around a high school person, you can just put your arm around them and say, I'm sorry, this is going to be uncomfortable for you. But then it's going to be uncomfortable for you as well. And imagine how uncomfortable this already is for me. Uh, I hope that we understand that God cares about us and all that is involved with our lives. I, I hope that we can see, as we look at the passage today, that it's not something that is supposed to be invasive into our lives, but is something that is supposed to be helpful for our lives. As I do counseling and marital counseling, there are three things that are usually the topic of concern and problem. One is communication. It's the number one, the difficulty in communicating with one another. The second one is intimacy, the involvement of the sexual relationship. And third is finances. Those three things top what marital problems surround or evolve around. Um, and so God cares about those things. And as we've looked through this book, we saw in the first four chapters that Paul dealt with the divisions that were in the church, how this unity of who we are in Christ was divided. Some saying they belonged to these people had this idea. Some belonged to Paul had this idea. And there was this division. Chapter 5, that faith produced a new morality. And it talked about how we had to deal with each other as family, that it wasn't okay to just let people go in a way that was going to be detrimental to them because that would also be detrimental to us as a body of believers, that what we do actually affects one another. 
that we aren't a club that you come to. It, this isn't the water buffalo, you know, gathering, and we have a grand poobah here, and we're going to, you know, have a breakfast afterwards. We do every now and then, and that's fun, but that's not what we're about. What this is is a family of believers that make up a body that is here to represent Jesus Christ. And, and so when one member suffers, we all suffer. But the same is true when one member messes up. It messes us all up. The weakest link affects who we all are, and the thought of us being a weak link should be something that causes us thoughtful concern, makes us wonder, where am I in this body? If I'm a part of this this church, not Genesis, the church of Jesus Christ, then what is my role? What is my part? We saw last week that the nature of liberty is something that is permissible to everything but is beneficial to what is good. In other words, although we have freedom, it is the freedom to do what is right, to do what is good. And as we talked about sexual immorality last week, we saw that sexual immorality, again, is anything that takes place outside of the relationship between a husband and wife that is sexually stimulating, provocative in that way. And so anything that is outside of that is considered sexually immoral. And we talked about, wow, why is that so strict? Well, because God has a design for us. We talked about the effects that that has on us as people, that it's not just a physical act, that it is something that connects to the soul of who we are. And so God takes it seriously. And we have seen the devastation that lives lived in sexual immorality have had an effect. And maybe we've experienced that ourselves and know what it is like to go through those things. And here in chapter 7, not only are we talking about family, we're getting even more personal talking about the husband and wife. And I, I want to preface this because we don't take seriously the things that have importance to our lives and our relationships. And if we don't have this conversation about what God desires to do in a marriage and what sex is supposed to be, the world is happy to have that conversation. The TV has no problem talking about that. Even commercials. Even jack-in-the-box commercials. Lately, I saw one, I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and you see, television has no problem. Radio has no problem. You, you find this discussion taking place. Are we going to allow that to be what shapes how we see this relationship? Or, or are we going to talk about it? And God talks about it. We see it here that God is talking about it. And, and so as we look at chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, we're going to read through it and then go through and talk about it. It starts in verse 1, chapter 7. It says, Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, 
but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent for, and that for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. As Paul is talking here, this is actually the second portion of the book of Corinthians because now he is actually going to be answering questions that they had. And that's why we see it says now in the matters that you wrote about. In other words, you guys asked me. You're the ones who instigated this conversation and so what I'm going to do is respond to it. I'm going to talk to you. And once again, we see that God is wanting to have this conversation with us. And we need to step into that conversation so that we don't take the idea of marriage and don't take the idea of intimacy and belittle it. Make it less than what it is supposed to be because it is of great importance. And if you're not married, you can kind of just write these things down and put it in your notes in the back somewhere. Um, but if you are married, I, I hope you won't tune this out and just say, you have no right to talk to me about these things. Believe me, I don't want to, okay? I'm not saying you know, I want to tell you something. I, I'm just going to try and share with you what God says about these things. Because it is of importance. And what we don't understand is we have cheapened, if that's really a word, I don't know, but we have made cheap. <laughs> Sounds better, cheap. And we have belittled, uh, I feel like Abbott and Costello now, or Porky Pig. Uh, we have made little what this relationship is and what the sexual relationship is meant to be. My niece wrote a poem and I, I thought it was very powerful. I wanted to share it with you guys because I, I think it captures just kind of how the world mentality thinks about this relationship and about just our sexual nature. It says, I catch your eyes and I hold them for a while, light them on fire and watch them spark. A show just for me. I love this explosive power just for distraction in the still of night. When they're done, I won't remember your name. I don't love you. Entertain me. And you know, so much of what takes place is about self. It is about pleasing me. And that's not what this relationship is about. The first verse there he says, for the matters that you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. And he goes on, he says, but since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Why would he say that it's good not to marry? We have to remember the context that Paul is writing. The church is under tremendous persecution. Paul himself is in prison. So often through this time that he's writing as he's going and traveling. And he's saying that those who are going to be married in a time where it's persecution, it's going to be very tough. If you're a follower of Christ and your life is under duress, it's going to be difficult to be married. But, he says, and he stops there because although Paul had a gift of celibacy, not everyone has that gift. 
And not everyone wants that gift, you know? It's kind of like, okay, you get the gift of celibacy. It's like, oh, I was hoping for a visionary leader, you know? Uh, what do you got? Maybe I, I think I got the wrong one. Can we trade? You know, we have this idea of I, I, this isn't something I want. Well, don't worry. If it's not something you want, it's not something that you have been given. But some have been given this gift, and Paul is one of those. And because of that, it's something that he is able to do. He's able to, to work further in the gospel and the things that he has done. And so he's writing for those who understand that there is a gift for that, but then he, he puts this but. And it's really important that we understand because... Since there is so much immorality, each one should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And and he makes this something that is both for husband and for wife. It's something that is to be there for the benefit of one another. And because you are and have been given by God this sexual drive, It's good for you to have a husband and it's good for you to have a wife. And and, you know, culture has always dictated about marriage that this is something that sexual relationship so many times is uh, a privilege for the husband and it's a duty for the wife. But we don't see that here. We see that this is something that is supposed to benefit both the husband and the wife. And, And he tells us this Because he's wanting us to know that getting married is a good thing. Even as he closes and says it's better to marry than to burn in passion. And so marriage is something that is necessary for us who don't have this gift of celibacy. And it is an important part of that. And here again, we've allowed culture, I think, to shape what we think of marriage. Because now, if you want to get married, you have to make sure that you have a job, that you have a home, that you have everything lined up so that when you get married, everything falls into place. And you do need to provide for your wife and for your family. You do need to be able to provide for those things, and you shouldn't get married if you can't provide for those things. But it doesn't mean that you have to wait till you get your PhD and you've graduated, then you're ready to get married. So the guy who's waiting to get all those ducks in a row, waiting to get his car paid off, waiting to get the home bought, waiting to have his degree and says, now I can get married. And in that time, you're burning in passion. You're, you're struggling and your immorality and you're, you're having problems and you're falling into the sin. And he's saying, you should get married. Don't wait until everything is perfect. The guy doesn't need to have all those things set up. He should provide for his family and get married. And all the women said, amen. And you need to recognize that this is a legitimate thing. And it is there for you so that you can have a life that is free from sexual immorality. And it is something that you might have to be more aggressive in pursuing to get that wife, and to get yourself on your feet so you can support that person. It's there for you to move forward. And again, don't let the culture dictate to you how you are supposed to move forward in this area. If you're struggling and you're having a problem in sexual sin, 
then move forward and, and get out of this place so that you can establish a relationship and have a healthy relationship. We have different issues in our, in our church today than the Corinth church did. And if you've grown up in church, um, you, you've probably had this idea that, you know, sex is dirty, so save it for the one you love kind of mentality, which, you know, it's like, what is that about? That, that doesn't make any sense. But really, we don't have a conversation about sexual relationship. And so it's just like, don't have sex, but wait till you get married because it's wrong. And then you say, okay, I guess I, I won't talk about this. I won't have this. And that's how you're informed. That's been kind of your understanding. And it's been something that's kind of just hidden. It's like in the closet. We don't talk about sex. It, it's a different part of our lives when you get married. It's there. But it's not something that's supposed to be hidden. It's something that Paul is talking about. It's something that God wants to bring about in our conversation so that if you're getting married, you have an understanding of what it's supposed to be. If you are married, you can begin to talk maybe about this a little bit more openly so that you have an understanding that it's not detached from your life, but it is very much a part of your life. And it's something that is mutual, both for the husband and wife. In verse 3, he goes on and he says, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. This is something that you owe your partner. This is something that you're responsible for. And, and that's a, a, an awkward thing because now you're saying, what do you mean I'm responsible? I owe my spouse sex? Isn't that kind of like duty sex? Where does the romance? Where, what goes into that? How did we get to this? That's not central to what he's talking about, but it is a part of what he's talking about. In other words, there is to be an obligation to one another. There is to be a responsibility in this relationship, and it exposes a very important part. When I, again, counsel with couples who are struggling and having difficulty, one of the, the tests that you can tell how they're doing is the sexual relationship. It's, it's not there. Well, we haven't been together for months we, we, or longer. And so you, you wonder, okay, well, where is the obligation to one another in regard to this? And because, well, it's too much of a hassle, it's too much work, I don't want to have to deal with this, you know, she's sensitive, he's, you know, insensitive, whatever the situation, so we just put it away and we don't deal with it, well, this is here to say, no, you, you have a responsibility to deal with it. And it's not that it isn't romantic and it isn't loving, but there is also an obligation to each other because this is an important part of marriage. It is something that is there to help your marriage. It is something there that is to unite you, to give you a connection to one another that is deep, that is personal, that is unique. That is beautiful. And if you neglect that, then you're depriving one another of something that you're meant to have. And so it is something that you need to see. It's, it's at the core of our marriage. I don't want to neglect something that is very central to what marriage is about and it's the language of mutuality. Now, this is really important because this is about I owe you and not you owe me. 
which is very much a problem when you deal with something that is so a driving force in our lives. Sex becomes something that I want and it becomes a gratification for me. But Paul is saying that, and God is saying through Paul, this is about I owe you, my spouse, this. Not you owe me. And that's really important that we understand. Because otherwise this will become a tool and we will use these things to try and manipulate a relationship and it is no longer selfless, it is selfish. And Paul is saying, no, this is about you being responsible and it goes both ways for the husband to the wife and for the wife to the husband. They're to both have this. It's where we understand that we can either be combative and have contention over this, or we can serve one another in this. And that's what God's desire is, and that's what we should desire. How can I serve you in this way? And this varies between men and women. You see, if you're thinking about how can I serve you in this relationship, well, guys, it might be just a physical thing. You know, that's how guys tend to be. But for women, it might be a lot more than just the moment. It might take, you know, the conversation. It might involve an expression of various desires, touch, time, affirmation, gifts, service. All these things go into what occupy this relationship. So it's not just a physical act. It's a matter of how that act plays out in our lives. And, and you see, the, the issue here is investing in your spouse, Finding out about them. What do they like? What don't they like? What is going to be helpful in this relationship? And you know what? It changes. It's not always the same. If you've been married for 20 years, it's changed. And if you haven't changed, then what? the conversation isn't moving forward. And so we need to be attentive. And again, if our attitude is, how can I serve you in this area of our marriage? Then you're going to have to be attentive. You're going to have to have the conversations. You're going to have to have the dialogue. And again, that comes back to this place where we just don't do that. I'm Christians. I've never been able to talk about sex. That's how I grew up. I went to the purity seminars. And they said, no sex, don't talk about it, don't think about it, flee, run, take cold showers. <laughs> and so we have this idea that this is dirty, this is wrong, and now it becomes awkward and it's something that we don't talk about. But do you ever wonder why then is it in Scripture? Why is the Song of Songs in Scripture? Why does God create us this way with all the bells and whistles. He's created us to enjoy these things, but we have to be quiet about it. No, we, we got to break that. And as husbands and wives, we need to have this conversation. I'm being careful not to look at any of you in the eye. <laughs> it, it takes time. It takes effort. We have to press through to fulfill your spouse's need. It takes communication, which will strengthen your marriage, and it will also strengthen your relationship with Christ. Christ. Because marriage is meant to glorify God. And when you enter into a marriage relationship, it betters who you are so that you can glorify God better. 
And if we had the, uh, the mindset that the sexual relationship is actually a gift from God to help me to holiness, then maybe we wouldn't treat it the way we do. And that's exactly what it is. It's a gift from God that is meant to help us. And he, he gives us the picture in verse 4, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to the husband. And the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Um, this is where we, we come under the authority of one another. Now, this is not just the man, okay? Remember, when this is taken out of the IOU to the you owe me, then it becomes oppressive, it becomes abusive, or, or the woman can, you know, the guy can say, yeah, you owe me, okay, you know, and he's all gung-ho, and he's thinking just about satisfying himself, and so now he's become oppressive, and now the woman shuts down, and, and she stops the relationship because she doesn't like how he's approaching her, and so now you've got this conflict that is taking place in the relationship, and, and so you, you go through a period of time, months, you know, where you're not together, and you're causing each other to, to sin because you're depriving one another of this relationship that is supposed to be marriage. And those are strong words, but that is really what's taking place. And you can cause each other to sin in various things. It might be thoughts, it might be just in, in deeds. And so you have to step into this difficult area for us, and we have to grow up and get past the, the sex is dirty, save it for the one you love. You, you have to move past the awkwardness and want something that is going to help your husband, your wife, for them. It's not for me, it's for you. And now some of you are saying, well, I can be fine, I don't need this. Well, what about them? And if you don't need it, why not? Do you have the gift of celibacy? Or have you shut down? Have you closed emotionally because you've been hurt you feel like you've been taken advantage of. Or maybe this is a leverage where I, I have this power over them and so I'm going to withhold this relationship from them until I can manipulate the situation to my liking. And you see, now something that was supposed to be enjoyed and benefit for one another has become a tool of manipulation. And we don't realize that your body is not for yourself, it's for your spouse. And our bodies are ultimately for the Lord. And so this surrendering of ourselves to one another, this mutual surrendering, is an important part of how we move forward. We need to talk about these things even though we don't like to. And you need to have a conversation of what you want and what you enjoy. And even though men talk like, yeah, I've been to the end zone every time I know what's going on, because that's how guys are. You know, we, we, it helps our ego to feel this way. But it, it's just like, you know, when you're lost and, and you ask your husband, you know, hey, should we pull over and ask for directions? And he says, no, 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 it's okay. I know where I'm going. No, really, I think we should stop and get directions. No, no, it's okay. Well, if you take this metaphor and bring it into the restroom, we need to... Our restroom, the bedroom. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're laughing, because... If you take this metaphor and bring it into the bedroom, you know, it's like, okay, you're, you're driving in circles, you're, you're lost. No, no, I know where I'm going. No, you don't, you're lost. 
You, you need to have a discussion so that you know what each other likes. And again, it changes depending on where you're at. And so this communication is an important part of the relationship, being able to talk about the things that you enjoy and not waiting for the other person to discover them and just drive lost. To be able to talk about these things, it's an important thing. And even though it's difficult, you need to push through it. You see, for the guys, it's, it comes down to this, you know, you're the only naked body we get to see. And we like to see them. So I want to work it out so it's comfortable for me to see you. But now you, you see that if you don't allow this to happen, it's like, I'm insecure, I don't want this, even though you want that, then where do you go? And, and as Paul says that because of this, if, if you deprive one another, verse 5 and 6, he goes on and he says, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. In other words, if we're not going to be together sexually, it's going to be so that we can move forward together still towards holiness. In other words, it's not like, well, I can just keep praying. I know we're going to go another week and pray. It's not that. It's the idea is we're going to pray so that we can be holy. We're going to pray so our relationship can move forward. And that's very much what the sexual relationship does. It moves you forward in that way. Because he says, for a specific time so that you may devote to a time so that you devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. In other words, he's saying, if you deprive each other, it makes a wedge available for Satan to get in. Because you have the sexual drive, but now we can't enjoy each other. Now we're, we're depriving each other from the things that we were created to enjoy. Well, now our minds go somewhere else. Maybe we start thinking about some romantic relationship or maybe we just plunge into sexual immorality of some sort, but it moves us to a place that we shouldn't go to. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't go there ourselves. And it doesn't mean that if you, you know, your husband or your wife, you know, if they go into this place on their own, it's your fault. But this is meant to keep you from going there. It is meant to help your relationship so you don't get involved with things that you shouldn't. So you get to look at your spouse and enjoy them instead of pornography. You have a romantic relationship with your husband, your wife, instead of fantasizing about someone else. You involve yourself in this relationship that God has given you so that those needs get taken care of. And this is what God has created you for. This is the concession he's talking about. God has given you the sexual relationship to take care of that. He goes on in verse 8 or 7. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And now he's saying basically that some have a gift of celibacy and some don't. And some have another gift, and the other gift is the ability to enjoy this relationship. That's a gift. It's a gift from God. And so if you are married, you've been given a gift in your spouse that includes sexual relationship. And you need to see it as a gift 
and you need to work together to be able to enjoy it as a gift. Otherwise, it is going to be a place of stumbling in your life and in your relationship even with God. You know, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, we are not aware of Satan's, of Satan's schemes. We're not unaware. And so we can't be unaware that because this is such a sensitive issue and because we, we feel awkward in talking about it, because we have so many insecurities regarding this thing, that Satan isn't going to use it to try and hinder us. We can't be ignorant of that. We have to understand that God has given us this so that we can grow towards him and fulfill each other. Years ago, I was asked to do a high school Bible study for the first time. They said, hey, Sam, would you like to teach the high school kids? I said, sure, I'd love to. That'd be great. You know, I hadn't taught in a while. I thought, oh, man, this is great. And they go, well, yeah, yeah. you're going to do uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I said, like, huh? And I'm like, oh, man, that's kind of a rough one to have to go into a high school group and, and talk to them. And I remember I started talking to them about God wants to be a part of your sex life. And God cares about this life and has a plan for it and a goal. And this one girl just broke down and started crying. Yeah, how do I? Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. The pastor is going to talk to me about this. What did I say? And I found out that she had been molested when she was younger. And her whole idea that this relationship, it, it just the idea of God being involved and wanting to be a part of this just seemed so difficult for her. And it was a place where she just broke down and she needed healing in this area. And so many of us have been hurt and have been damaged. And so there's this block in our mind that just will not move forward. And there is a, a wedge that Satan has put in your life to stop you from the gift that God wants to give you in marriage. And we need to get past it. Celibacy is a gift and marriage and the sexual relationship is a gift, which means if you're married, you should be having this relationship together regularly. I'm not going to give you a number how often, okay? But it should be regularly. It should be something that is a normal part of your relationship unless health predicts otherwise. The point is how does this mutually get expressed in your life. Now, I need to get out of here quick. Um, he talks about the unmarried widows, that they should stay unmarried as I am, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry and to burn. And, and next week, we're going to be talking about singles and being single, what that means. And then later on, we're going to talk about divorce and what that takes. So those are the next two weeks that we're going to talk about. But I want to ask some questions here. And... If we don't ask these questions, then it's easy to ignore them and let Satan have his way in this area of our lives. And, and so I'm going to ask some questions, and I want you who are married to ask these questions to one another, to your spouse. Okay, I realize that this is probably going to start some fights. I'm okay with that. Um, <laughs> I, I mean that in a good way. I, I mean, it would be better for you to deal with this, to argue, and to come to a place where you have recognition of what's going on, then you to shut your eyes and stay close to this and allow there to be a, a hindrance in your life. Again, guys, 
I got to tell you how many times I deal with people who are struggling in this area in their marriage, and then it's caused serious issues. And, and I'm talking about these things because I don't want it to be an issue in your life. I don't want to see Satan have a way of dividing you, of causing hindrance with you, of tempting you, because there is a lack in this area of your life. That is why we're talking about it. And I want you to talk about this with your spouse. The first question I want you to ask your spouse, and you can write these down if you'd like, um, what do you desire? In this large definition of sex, what is it that your spouse can do to please you? Now, this is where you talk to one another. And, and the idea is that God built your body this way with all these things that make you work. How does it work? Talk to your spouse about what you would like. You see, it's a lot easier to tell someone what you like than to ask someone, what do you want me to do? It just, this is what I enjoy. This is what I like. This is what I desire from our relationship in this area. And I'm trying to dance around this as sensitively as I can, guys. Okay. Second question. How have you seen sex as you owe me instead of I owe you? And what this is, is a time to repent of any wrong or selfish attitudes that you've had about intimacy. How have you been selfish in this area of your relationship? Ask or tell each other and, and do a self-examination and say, I'm sorry, I've been selfish in this. I haven't considered you and this is about you and not about me. The third question is, what change in your marriage, what could change in your marriage if you saw your sexual relationship in a healthier way? I want you to dream about what God wants for your life and for your marriage, and how could it be better if you had a, a safe and a healthy sexual relationship with your spouse? How would your relationship be better? I want you to think about what God wants your marriage to be in this area? What does he want you to enjoy? And think about those things so that you can move towards those things so you can strengthen and complete each other in this way. And the last one is how can you serve each other to best avoid sexual temptation? One of the reasons this has been given as a gift is to keep us from being tempted in this area. So how can you serve your spouse so that you don't or so that you can't avoid sexual temptation. I have to, to conclude with the understanding that in and of ourselves, I believe that this is next to impossible. Because we are so self-centered, we are so selfish, we are so self-serving. And the idea and the mentality of being like Christ and caring about others more than ourselves is foreign to us unless the Spirit of God works within us. And I know that some of you are in relationships maybe where your, your spouse is unbelieving and this dialogue is just not going to take place. And where there is going to be this area of tension and, and friction, I want you to understand that God cares about you, loves you, and wants you to maintain the attitude of Christ. That even if they are willing to stay in this relationship, you need to be willing to see it through. And trust God for your spouse. 
And we're going to talk about that more in two weeks as we deal with the area of divorce. But understand that to, to do this and to get past the attitude of I'm being cheated or you owe me, we have to have the mind and the love of Christ for our spouse so that this relationship can be an enhancement to what God has for our life and not a hindrance. Because that's what it is made to be. And I don't want to have that counseling appointment where you come in and I talk with you and you tell me about the hurts and and one of you has been unfaithful and one of you is flirting with someone and one of you is involved with this area and it all comes down to the fact that these conversations are not happening. You are being selfish about yourself. You don't want to invest in the relationship and so you take the easy way out I don't want to have that conversation with you. I don't want to see another marriage end in divorce. I don't want to see someone else be hurt and Satan divide what God has put together because you've allowed temptation to enter in because you didn't think this was important. It is. And if you have a great and healthy relationship, continue it. Continue the conversation with one another. But don't let it be silent. Let's pray. Lord, I I ask you to take the things that I've shared from this passage and allow them to produce, God, things that will be beneficial for every married couple. And for those who aren't married, Lord, I pray they would understand what your desire is for a marriage relationship, Lord, that it is to be enjoyed. It is to be healthy, Lord, that there is to be dialogue and there is to be the mutual giving of ourselves to one another. Lord, those who have been married for years and and this conversation has become dormant and this relationship has become stagnant, I I pray that, Lord, that this conversation would push into the uncomfortable area, that uncomfortable dialogue that would not allow the gift that you have given them to, to go unfulfilled. That it wouldn't allow Satan opportunity to tempt in our thoughts, in our minds, in our actions, God. I pray that the marriages here would be healthy, God. And Lord, you've given us this relationship of intimacy to help us in this area. You've given us this to to bring us strength so that we can be unified, that we would indeed be one flesh. And if we neglect this area, Father, we are weaker our marriage is weaker and we as individuals are weaker because it is not how we have been gifted. And so, Lord, help us in these conversations. As difficult as they are, they're important. Lord, again, I just pray you would take anything I said that would be weird or, or construed in the wrong way and just eliminate it and everything that is of you that would be useful Help that to stay in our hearts and minds, Lord, as we move out of here. And God, help us to be healthy, whole people that are living for you. 
I do pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I I know that there's going to be a lot of questions because of this. And you might even have some questions that you want to ask, but you want to ask it anonymously. If you go to our Genesis website, you can submit things anonymously. I will get them. I don't know how I'll answer you if it's anonymous, you know, unless you give me an email or something. But if there's enough things that maybe are, are consistent, I can at least bring them out and talk about them at another time because I, I don't want you to go through this and have these questions or hurts and just think, well, I just have to deal with it. God doesn't want you to just deal with it. He wants your marriage and your life to just flourish. And I pray it would.